Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hello and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural inspirations. I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so very much for joining me. This week, I am chatting with singer-songwriter Helen Ballantyne, who records music under the name Skull Crusher. Helen's spark of inspiration is Spirited Away, the Oscar-winning Japanese animated feature film from 2001. Uh, this is a lovely conversation. Uh, I know I say that every conversation I have is lovely, but A, that's true. They all are lovely, actually. And uh, B, this one does not break from that trend. Okay. Uh, Helen had a lot of really smart and insightful things to say about this film's impact on her work. She talked about the way she saw herself reflected in Chihiro, who is the film's protagonist. And she spoke a little bit about the unique power of hand-drawn animation, um, in that it's both more tangible and more ephemeral than other forms of animation. Sounds extremely interesting, doesn't it? Want to hear it for yourself? Well, let's make that happen right now. Uh, first, quick Skull Crusher fact. Skull Crusher is singer-songwriter Helen Ballantyne. In her music, as in her visual art practices, Ballantyne is drawn to conflicting pieces of a puzzle, how hard and soft meet and the intersection of certainty and ambiguity. Her debut self-titled EP was released last year, and her new EP, Storm in Summer, is out this Friday, April 9th. And now, quick Spirited Away facts. Spirited Away is a Japanese animated fantasy film written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki and animated by Studio Ghibli. Spirited Away tells the story of Chihiro, a 10-year-old girl who, while moving to a new neighborhood, enters the world of Kami, who are spirits of Japanese Shinto folklore. Uh, after her parents are turned into pigs by the witch Yubaba because of course they are. Jihiro takes a job working in Yubaba's bathhouse to find a way to free herself and her parents and return to the human world. It won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature at the 75th Oscars, making it the first and only hand-drawn and non-English language animated film to win the award. And there you have it. Let's crack on with the good stuff, shall we? Here comes my chat with Skull Crusher about Spirited Away. Do you remember watching Spirited Away for the first time? Yes, I really do. I really remember my my parents, I think, just bought the DVD at some point. And maybe I was five or six. And it really just made this huge impact on me. I think it was one of the first movies I saw where I just really related to uh, Jihiro, the main character. And I don't think I knew for a while why I related to her, but it's... 
I think the film I've seen the most in my life. <laughs> it's it's a movie that I can watch over and over and over again. And I think, you know, obviously that has to do with, you know, the the I think the animation and the fact that you can always kind of notice different details um, every time you watch it. Right. And it's, you know, it's got this whole world that you, you just want to know more about. Like you could, you could spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what this world is and, you know, what it would feel like to exist in that world. But I think mainly that initial kind of spark had to do with my, you know, the relationship I felt um, with Jihiro, the, the central character. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess just in terms of the story, there's like the universal, really relatable elements that are just, you know, taking it at face value and saying it's a story about, you know, this kind of fantastic story about a little girl who gets, you know, transported to this magical world. And that right. in and of itself is familiar. It's like, you know, The Wizard of Oz or, or yeah, something like that. Right. Kind of, yeah. But then that with this like absolutely bonkers backdrop like you know the one of the things that i love the most is that there's no consistency with the type of characters she meets in this right. uh alternate world that it's like yeah. every kind of creature you could ever imagine just pops out from everywhere. right it's not sort of like one type of uh you know land of the you know this creature or whatever and everyone is kind of like that sort of it doesn't have that uniformity and i think for me it also doesn't have uniformity in terms of like you know good or bad or you know like these kind of morals that i think a lot of other fantasy films tend to you know fall into you know there's like the evil people and then there's the really good people and you know the character has to kind of like fend off the evil but i think there's so much there's so much overlap um you know even I would say even like her parents kind of fall into this like murky territory of like, are they good parents? Totally. Um, you know, they're kind of representing, I think, consumerism and like that whole, I think, you know, he really, he really kind of carries that theme through the whole film. And there are characters who sort of fall into that, like even characters that you really like, um, you know, like, like Lynn, who kind of shows her you know, the ropes and kind of looks after her, but she's also very concerned. She's also very concerned with making money. She's very concerned with like these things. And she, you know, she doesn't trust certain characters who are important to Chihiro and, um, and even Yubaba, who I guess is like the most like evil character in the film, uh, has her twin sister who you could also just like argue as being like another side of Yubaba, you know, and she's, mm -hmm. she's not, she's also like a mother and she's also, you know, has these like, she cares about the bathhouse. She cares about her employees. She cares like about her child. And I think there's just like that whole blurred line. And I think that's just so relatable to me. Like I like, I don't, I, I don't know. I liked that Jihiro kind of had to navigate these confusing, this confusing world, which feels really re realistic to me and, um, and just sort of follow her, her gut and, and her heart and trust who she wants to trust. Right. And also, I think uh, another thing that felt familiar to me from other stories with a, a young girl as a protagonist is the kind of dismissiveness that um, she faces from you know her parents, from various yeah. other characters in the story, where it's just like, you're just a little girl, or yeah. I mean, you're just a human um, right. when, when we're talking about the magical creatures, but not 
listening to her when she is being totally. the voice of reason and has the the strongest grasp of of what's going on you know obviously there are yeah. times when she's overwhelmed and scared and is learning about the the new world that she's jumped into but yeah just having like a female protagonist who right ends up saving the day but throughout the whole story is is it's a challenge to kind of have her voice heard totally i i find that you know, that's probably the most kind of relevant part of it for me that, you know, really inspires what I do and like the experience that I have and kind of just like the core of like Skull Crusher and what mm. that means to me. It really has to do with that dynamic of like being a little girl, like being very, you know, seemingly weak and small and people kind of talking over you and pushing you aside. I think like the, especially the animation of that, I feel like there's so many scenes where she's kind of being pushed aside and she, her body's just like mm. this little kind of thing that you could just picture breaking, you know, mm -hmm. like she's so light and you could just push her aside. And I think that's, that's so amazing in that film. And, and then the way that she's able to grow into herself and kind of like really teach people how, what it means to to trust someone and to love someone and like these really big difficult tasks that she's able to accomplish and there's no she doesn't have any like power or any you know special right. aspect to you know her her physicality i think usually like there's a need for either for like a, a female protagonist to be somehow very physically strong too like mm -hmm. you know like oh, she's really good at like fighting or something and jihiro is like not <laughs> she's like very she doesn't have anything like that um and I, I i think i really identified with that aspect of her yeah yeah and I, like not just being metaphorically pushed aside but like literally you know yeah. pushed out of the way swept out of the way by the elements right but yeah at the same time like showing that her strength comes from her compassion, her skills with deduction and mm -hmm. observation right. and, you know, being able to just being the person who, who solves these problems that nobody else has been able to solve right. um, is, uh, is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I, and I like that she's also like scared a lot of the time. Like yeah. she's not, you know, particularly brave or, you know, completely unemotional um and in the beginning she's like kind of annoying and and i think i don't know i i really feel like that's so important to think about especially when we have female protagonists it's like you know in order to to be strong you don't have to be like completely um you know hardened or uh lacking emotion or brave the whole time i mean she's she's like curled up in a ball when she's first realizing that she can't get across back to the car and she can't find her parents and she's really scared and she's curled up in a ball and she's disappearing like her body is going away and that I, I just I felt like that was so important to include because you know she's not immediately like okay gotta you know I'm, I'm just gonna be brave and figure this out you know she's like a scared little girl and she's kind of having a panic attack <laughs> uh and disappearing and, and I don't know I just I think that's a really kind of important part of that yeah and I think that kind of bleeds into the stylistic and artistic choices with the animation that it's mm -hmm. so you know obviously anime it was a thing before this movie a very big right. thing but that this was something 
uh, a film that probably introduced that style of animation to the American public, uh, yes. at least broadly. And it became uh, turned from something that was quite niche into something that, you know, won an Oscar and made right. tons of money and all of that stuff. And I think it also came at a time when hand-drawn animation was kind of falling out of mm-hmm. style and they... I think there's something about the having hand-drawn animation, having it be something that feels a bit more tangible. Right. Um, and, you know, the style of computer animation at that time, it was still, if you look back at, like, you know, movies that came out in the same year, like Ice right, Age, it was toy, like... The, yeah, Toy Story was kind of maybe earlier than that, yeah. Yeah, but it was, like, still kind of rudimentary, and you could almost see, like, the frame that they'd built the animation around. And, mm-hmm. yeah, there's something that makes it feel much more human and connected to have this hand-drawn style in use. Yeah. And, you know, I also draw and that was kind of a big thing for me for a while. I was trying to do illustration and I've always been really, really, you know, drawn to uh, hand-drawn animation. And um, most children's films that I identify with are kind of have hand-drawn elements. There are like a few animation studios that I really like that kind of uphold that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I and I and I know that Miyazaki has also talked about like in this film wanting uh to keep everything really hand drawn, wanting to make sure that the characters are uh primarily hand drawn and really paying attention to Jihiro, especially not making her too cute or pretty or like the way that, you know, maybe other anime tends to like exaggerate certain female qualities um Hmm. and i i know that he just was able to really like control that i think through the hand-drawn element and making sure that like the kind of life of that character could come through subtly um in the drawing yeah and also like the the skill involved in the animation it's such a (laughs) I mean, it sounds kind of redundant to say it's a cinematic movie because obviously mm-hmm. movies are cinematic by their nature. But um, <laughs> like the camera angles and, and stuff, there were a few times when I really noticed like focus pulling and, you know, right. panning and um, all of these camera techniques. And it's like, well, there yeah. isn't a camera and thinking about people constructing these shots in a way that feels like, you know, traditional live action film totally yeah made it feel like this you know the the story is so grand and it really helps you to to feel involved in it um Mm -hmm. that it's like uh, a very familiar structure um in terms of of the the style of filming but it's animated right yeah i think of the scene where haku is taking uh jihiro to see her parents for the first time after they've been taken to the pen Mm -hmm. and he's kind of leading her through those i think they're hydrangeas or like it's just those flowers and the you feel like the movement of that like Mm -hmm. you're kind of like following you're kind of i think in jihiro's perspective and haku is in front of you and you really feel the flowers kind of curving around you as they sort of twist through that scene and the motion of that is very like realistic to me um mm-hmm. i don't know that's just something that popped up yeah and i mean i, I just watched it last night and it mm-hmm. doesn't feel dated at all like all of those right. effects if you watch them in a computer animated film now because that style advances so quickly right i i remember like 
the computer animated sequence in Aladdin was uh, mm-hmm. this like amazing thing that ever, you know, they Disney spent so much money on it and it was this right. marvel. And if you watch it now, it's like, eh, it's I can do that on so my phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, totally. Yeah. I mean, there's just something about, you know, handmade anything mm. that I think transcends time. I think, you know, like we're just always going to uh, love the way a guitar sounds recorded into tape, I think, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, maybe not necessarily, you know, it is still technology in, to some degree. But yeah. like, I think there's just always there's something about, you know, retaining the quality of the thing. Um, it's just sort of like the original thing that kind of always feels relatable. And and yeah, I don't know if that uh, that movie will ever feel like, oh, that looks very old mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah, that, that's definitely something I, I hadn't thought about, actually. Yeah. And just kind of, again, like marveling at those moments, like seeing flowers swaying in the breeze or whatever and seeing thousands upon thousands of flowers all moving in different directions at different times and thinking like now when people animate things like that there's some kind of algorithm that's programmed to you know think about all those things and randomize the movement of all of these flowers but with Mm -hmm. hand-drawn animation it's like some a person has to think about all of those things um yeah and it is seamless it doesn't it doesn't feel like something that's been constructed it feels really natural yeah, and I, I I also think it adds to just the the human quality to the film. Like you're able to uh, you know recognize the life in something when it's when it's drawn by a person. It has that texture. It has that mark making that is like characteristic of of every person's kind of style of drawing. And I think also just like you know when you think about a drawing on a piece of paper that is you know ephemeral. Like that's going to like decay at some point. That's going to like you know, get all crumpled up and it has like a texture, it has a lifespan. I think there's something about drawing that like makes you think about real life. It makes you think about a flower dying. It makes you think about a person dying. And I think, you know, so many of Miyazaki's films deal with aging and dying and kind of life cycles and nature. And, and I think like there wouldn't be any other way for those themes to really come through other than, you know, through a hand-drawn medium. Right. Yeah. And just um, thinking, going back to what you were saying about the, I guess, lack of judgment uh, when it comes to any of the characters, even the the worst ones, um, that they're complex characters. There's like light and darkness in Mm -hmm. each being. And I think the uh the animation style bleeds into all of that stuff too that it's like right the way that each character is designed uh no face yeah which is like the character to me that is probably the scariest you know <laughs> right part yeah. of the whole thing who is actually just kind of you know like this mm, cute little kind lost cute. soul right yeah yeah um and totally just balancing out those two things and and right. being able to like have moments where it's really horrifying and ho- moments where it's like, you know, you want to give them a hug. <laughs> right. And I think, uh, you know, I love the fact that no face is really scary when you have a different character inhabiting his body and speaking mm. through him. Like that's really disturbing to have, you know, when he's filled, when he's eaten all of these like other characters that you've scene and you've you know you've kind of gotten to know them in some way and then all of a sudden you hear their voice inside of this huge 
you know, blob, (laughs) no face. And that's really disturbing. But then when no face is just no face and he's just like doing his little thing and and he's just like this sad, cute little little guy, uh, you know, you're not scared of him at all. My favorite, I think one of my favorite parts is like when she's leading him out of the bathhouse and he like jumps into the water and there's this, this little moment where his body kind of balloons out under him and Mm -hmm. he just looks like a little umbrella Mm -hmm. and it's really far away and it's so cute and then he's walking on the train tracks and then when the train comes he kind of like gets pushed aside from the waves and he just is so like helpless and it it kind of reminds me of my boyfriend's family's dog who's very old (laughs) and like sometimes gets like if if he gets stuck somewhere like behind the couch or something like he'll just kind of back up a little bit and get yeah. a little bit off balance and it really reminds me of no face yeah yeah and yeah just like all, all of that character development that's both like combining storytelling with the uh audio visual elements because it's not mm-hmm. just the way that he looks it's the way that he sounds as well his mm-hmm. voice like you know uh when he's quite meek and vulnerable it's just like a little uh and then um you know sometimes is like really loud and scary and Uh um that kind of attention to detail when you're dealing with characters who are so complex thinking about how their voice changes how their movement changes and all of that is so important to the story right Uh, yeah i think it really gets to kind of one of the main points of the story which is that you know no one is like purely evil within themselves but it all has to do with kind of how we influence each other and i think that is like literally demonstrated in how no face just sort of picks up all of the negativity that's happening in the bathhouse and like speaks with these other voices. And that's what's kind of influencing him negatively. Um, But, you know, I think he really uncovers that it just has to do with like how we're treating each other. And like when no face is cared for when he's, when he's given like something to do when he's treated well by Zaniba in the little cottage, like Mm -hmm. he's a great, person or spirit uh, you know he's he's a great character and he's he just wants to help and um and i think that dynamic is so important like jihiro's parents are you know maybe negatively influenced by uh whatever temptation they have to like just pig out essentially and and uh doesn't mean that they're like these horrible people but um you know i think there's just like all of this just like what does it mean to sort of be a good person um and and I think Chihiro like really is able to um, influence the people around her and like show the people around her how to uh, be better. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I think um, another kind of layer of complexity from an American perspective is that there's all of this Japanese cultural stuff that comes yeah. into the storytelling, and it's not like I, I don't I don't know for the time um, if 
the idea of having an animated film that was so outside of American cultural norms was something that right. anybody would ever expect to be successful. Right. Um, but I read something about like, you know, uh, they wrote the English language dialogue to try and match the movements yeah. of the, the mouths of the characters. And there were just a few things that they had to explain culturally. And one of them was just the concept of a bathhouse that's like, you know, right, like, something that that? doesn't really exist here. <laughs> um, and it's such a central part of what um, happens in the story and just yeah. kind of seamlessly integrating all of that stuff. And I think that, that the people who um, were involved in the translation did a really good job of not like taking you out of the story and being like, so this is what we have to explain about right. Japanese culture. Um, and it was integrated quite well. Yeah. And I also, you know, I think I've always felt aware of like the limitations that I have viewing this movie as you know an english-speaking american person um you know there's there are going to be things that are lost in translation whether you're watching the english dub or the subtitles um you know they're just going to be things that you don't understand and i think the storytelling just is able to transcend that um you know and i think just especially just like portraying a child and portraying childhood and like these kinds of universal experiences um, I think like he was really able to just achieve that despite, uh, the circumstances and, you know, the, the cultural limitations. Right. And also just the, <laughs> like I said, the variety of characters, it's so like colorful and vibrant mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's so much to look at all the time. Um, right. and it's, it's not just about having a different, like uh, a variety of different types of characters. It's like the style of animation for each one, like seeing Yubaba for the first time and right. having this like, you know, weird, like gigantic head and, right. um, just this, you know, one creature person, <laughs> uh, right. that is completely different to anything else that you see in the world. And it instantly just like draws your focus, makes that character stand out in a mm -hmm. way that other characters don't. And each character, um, has, yeah. has something that, that, that lends that, uh, kind of, um, gives them right. that pop. <laughs> right. And then, you know, Haku and, and Lin are sort of the most like human looking mm -hmm. characters. And those are also the characters that I think, Jihiro, like first, like initially, kind of comes to trust. Comes to trust, um, and then, but then also, like you have uh, Kamazi, who's like just like a huge Spider-Man type guy, and, and he ends up being this kind of like very comforting figure, right? Um, right. Even though he's a little bit scary looking at first, or Kamaji, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I, I also like that in, in addition to that idea of not having, you know, blurring the lines between good and evil, that the, the moral, there, there isn't really like a, a solid moral to the story. It's just like this adventure is ending and, mm -hmm. you know, they go back to their car and it's not clear exactly how much time has passed for them. And right. it's just like. Yeah, I th I think, you know, there's always like different interpretations and mm -hmm. like you can kind of, you know, find whatever aspect relates to your life. Um, I definitely see it as like this moment, like when you're growing up and you start to see your parents differently or you start to see like the context of your life differently right. um, and what that does to your perspective and and how that kind of matures you really quickly um 
And I think like when Jihiro sees her parents as pigs, Mm. that is like very scary and like sends her down this like very lonely, um, you know, overwhelming experience. But, uh, you know, then she's able to like return to them and be very glad to be with them again. But she kind of like maybe has this changed perspective. But I am always curious. I'm like, I wonder what her relationship will be with her parents after this experience. Like, is that kind of the moment where she, you know, realizes something about them and uh, realizes that she's a different person and that she was like, I don't know, has all this other stuff that her parents maybe don't understand. Right. Yeah. The uh, sequel can be Jihiro in therapy talking about how her yeah. parents don't remember being turned into pigs. <laughs> that would feel relatable for me. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, I feel enormously satisfied. This was so much fun. Okay. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much for talking to me about it. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, take care. Okay. You All too. Right. Bye. Bye. That was a wonderful chat. Thank you again to Helen for making time for me. The new Skullcrusher EP, Storm and Summer, is coming out this Friday, April 9th, so stream and or download it at the stroke of midnight. Okay, okay, time for my little spark of inspiration this week. I finally read Leave the World Behind, Ruman Alam's terrific novel, and it's just as good as everyone has been saying it is. It's the kind of book that everyone would have been obsessively reading on their commute last year, except that, you know... Obviously, no one was commuting. Anyway, it's the story of a family having a break at a secluded house in the middle of nowhere, and uh, stuff happens. Um, I don't really want to say what, because I really wish I'd known less about this story before I read it. A little note to all book reviewers. Here's a fun challenge for you. Write a review without divulging major plot points. Who knows? It might be fun. Um, Also, another side note, Leave the World Behind is being developed into a movie by Sam Esmail, who created Mr. Robot and Homecoming, and it's going to star Denzel Washington and Julia Roberts. Pretty impressive. So there you go, a little book recommendation without telling you anything about it, really. Um, But you trust me, so just read it. And that is it for this week. Please, for the love of God, follow me on social media, at Spark Parade. It's a lovely way for you to stay connected with me throughout the week, don't you think? And uh, other than that, have a fun week, be good, stay cute, and until next time, bye! Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.